0: Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So why in the world did I start with a depressing video like that? Monster. Because tonight we're in a portion in our series in John where we're talking about something that is, is, is sad. We're talking about the fact that Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And how many of y'all grew up watching that Lion King movie? It's kind of a, kind of a classic, right? And you know the story. S- uh, Mufasa was betrayed by his brother, Scar. And we're going to be talking about Jesus' betrayal. Um, and maybe you've been betrayed by someone. And that feeling of betrayal is something you'll never forget. Uh, Don't raise your hand, but I'm asking a question for you to think about. Has there ever been anyone who's turned their back on you? Has there ever been someone who you were so surprised, you thought they would be your friend forever, you thought they would be your mom or your dad forever, and they just turned away and they left? I could understand how maybe someone would betray me Because I'm not always the easiest person to be around. Sometimes I'm a a turd. Would Would the rest of you admit that maybe you're like that sometimes? I can understand how someone might betray me. But how could you betray Jesus? Who lived a perfect life. It's hard to imagine. But I think what we're going to see here tonight is that the truth is we have a little bit more in common with the person who betrayed Jesus than we'd like to admit. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 13. We're in this series called Abide. We're talking about Jesus' teaching from the upper room. It's John 13 through John 17. If you remember last week uh, where we picked up from in, in, this, in this series, uh, we were talking about how, how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Remember, it's way too many foot references for a guy like me who hates feet. Uh, but we're gonna move on to verse number 21. And what I hope you leave understanding is a very simple truth summarized in a simple sentence. It's that Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knew Judas's heart. Jesus, Jesus knows our heart. And as you're in the book of John, let's do a little review here. Start with an easy question. Who wrote the book of John? John. Why, should, why would John write a book like that? Jesus loved, him, he loved Jesus. Jesus loved him. He loved Jesus. There's something special about John compared to the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What is it? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of tell you the same events that Jesus did. John was Jesus' best friend, remember? You got your people you hang with, you got your close friends, and then you got your best friend for life, you ride or die. And John was Jesus' best friend, ride or die. So John has some unique things that he writes about because he got to see him, and not maybe all the disciples got to see him. What was the purpose of the book of John? Why did John write these events in Jesus' life? So that people may be saved. Boom, Christian got it. He tells us why he wrote it in John chapter 20. These things, these things about Jesus were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what we're going to read tonight, this true story from the word of God was written for one purpose, so that you may believe in Jesus and that by believing in Jesus, you'll have eternal life in his name. So we're going to dive in uh, to John chapter 13, uh, verse number 21, and uh, let's, let's read together. So where where is Jesus? Where where are the disciples? Where's Jesus and the disciples? Anybody know where they are? Upper room. What's an upper room? room. I'm asking way too many questions tonight, right? It's the room on a top of a house that was reserved for guests. What were Jesus and his disciples doing? They were eating the Passover feast, which was something that 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 Jewish people observe every year. And it was a special meal, and we're gonna get a little bit into it tonight. We'll get it more into it later next week. But Jesus and his disciples are eating. Were they at like a Ma's kitchen table? How were they eating? They were lying down. I demonstrated it last week. I don't know if I'm going to demonstrate it this week. I don't know if my body can withstand it. But they were laying down and they were reclining and they were eating together. So last week, what happened? Jesus started washing the disciples' feet. And the mood got real strange, didn't it? Everybody's like, this is really awkward. It was probably total silence. Have you ever been in a situation that's so awkward nobody knew what to say, nobody knew what to do. It was just awkward silence. Jesus is washing their feet and they're all just like, it's painfully awkward. And then Jesus finishes washing his feet. He, he, he takes the towel off from around his waist. He puts his, his, his outer garment back on and he reclines back at his seat at the middle of the table. And all the disciples were probably like, that was weird, but it's over. Now let's enjoy this Passover meal. Like, let's, let's eat with Jesus. <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? So everybody, the chatter starts going. Everybody's you're starting to feel, feel feel good about this again. And then Jesus, in verse 21, does this. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So the mood, washing the feet. Jesus is done washing the feet. And then Jesus says, One of you is going to betray me. Right? Do you see? It's, like, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster, isn't it? So Jesus says, One of you will betray me. So the disciples are like, What? No. So it says they're looking around at each other, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples who Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. Let me stop here and explain what this would have looked like. Have you ever seen the picture? the, the illustrated picture where Jesus and his disciples are all sitting, it's the Last Supper picture, they're all sitting at this table, and they're all like, you know, the, the, they're all sitting on the same side of the table and, and, and that's really not a good illustration of what it would have looked like. This is a good illustration of what it would have looked like. Um, and once again, not the best Christian art. If you're an artist, you know, we really need some better Christian artists. So if you, if you like to sketch and you like to do this kind of stuff, you need to, you, you need to draw some biblically accurate pictures because... Yeah, Jesus was definitely not white like he looks up here. Um, so, but you can see how they were reclined and what you would do. Ah, all right, I need two volunteers. Gabe. Remind me your name? Malachi. Malachi, I don't know why I had a brain fart. Gabe Malachi, come on up here. I need one more. One more guy. Kurt. All right. Gabe, you are Jesus. Malachi, you're John, and Kurt, <laughs> you're Judas. <laughs> you knew I had to do that, right? OK, so I'm going to move this out of the way. I wasn't planning to do this tonight, so hopefully this will work out OK. The Cajon is going to be our makeshift table. All right? So Jesus, I want you to lay down with your head facing this. OK? Now take your no, no, not, now turn around on your belly. Right arm, shoulder on here. Right arm, that's your left arm. Right arm, shoulder on here. Okay, now Malachi, you're John, right? So you are gonna come, you're gonna sit, you're gonna do the same thing, lay, exactly like Gabe is laying right there. You're reclining, you're eating. Now, Kurt, you're Judas, I want you to come over here. Okay, this is gonna help it make sense. All right, now you just gotta lay exactly like, exactly like, uh, yeah, exactly like Gabe is. No, you gotta turn, you, you gotta spoon, other way. There you go not that close not not spoonable closeness okay so listen Let, i'm gonna i'm gonna read this now i'm gonna read this now and we're gonna illustrate this i'm probably already regretting this aren't i but i think this is gonna help you get a visual for how this works okay one of the disciples whom jesus loved was reclining at the table at jesus's side does that make sense Because that's how the table was. It would have been a bigger table. Okay? But that's how the table was arranged. Then, what does it say? I need one more volunteer. Xavier, get up here. You're Peter. You're the one that's always talking. You're Peter. All right? So, Peter, you're over here. Okay. Right? And just kind of do the same thing Kurt. Kurt's doing over here. Okay? All right. There we go. You're reclined at the table. The table's bigger. Okay? So it says, the disciple, um, so Peter motioned to John. So motion to John. Just Go. Okay, he motioned to John. He said, Ask to, he motioned to John to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So it's this awkward situation. It's like, Who's going to betray you? Jesus? Jesus says, Somebody's going to betray me. Who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? Peter really wants to know, but he's afraid to just ask Jesus. And he knows that John is right next to Jesus, so he won't have to shout across the table with all the other disciples. There's 12 of them. And he kind of talks to, you know how you can kind of talk to people without talking? You can be like, you know, he's like trying to do all those things like and and so John it says he leans back over to Jesus and whispers to him Lord who is it does that make sense how that would work if they were reclined like that and Jesus answered he didn't answer to the whole table he whispers to he whispers to John it's the one to whom I will give the morsel of bread when I've dipped it So only John heard that Peter's still in the dark all the rest of the disciples are in the dark Judas is still in the dark about what Jesus said to John and then Jesus Jesus perk up Thank you. Okay, you're still you're still reclining He takes his left hand, which is what he would have done And if you were on the right side of someone at a feast in the Jewish culture You were in the position of honor. So here who was in the position of honor at the Last Supper Judas Judas. And the person who was in the, the seat of honor would get the first serving of the Passover meal served by the host. So Jesus, played by Gabe, would have, would have kept his yeah, right, right shoulder on the table, or right, yeah, right, right elbow on the table, and would have taken his left hand and broken off a piece of bread, dipped it into this special Paschal stew, which would have been one of the first things that was served, and would have given it to Judas. Only John understands what's going on here. Even Judas doesn't understand that Jesus is like exposing him as the one who's going to betray him. Does that make sense? All the other disciples sitting around the table are still in the dark. They just think that Judas was such a great guy, such a great follower of Jesus, that he got this special honor by being in the place of honor and by being served first by Jesus. So all the disciples, they're not thinking, oh, he's the betrayer. Kurt, the betrayer. That's not what he's thinking. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, if anybody's going to betray Jesus, it's definitely not Judas. He's the one in the position of honor. He's the one that was served first. Does that make sense? Okay. Give it up for our players here. Um, I, think, uh, I, I think the next stop is Hollywood for these guys. Um, I can see it. They're going to be sitting next to Taylor Swift at the Golden Globes, spilling the tea with her. Um So, does that make sense? As we're going through this passage. So, he dipped the morsel. He gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. It said, after he had taken the morsel. That's just... It was just... You know how you all do chips and salsa? It was like that only with bread and with stews. And after he took it and he ate it, it says, Satan entered into him. That's an interesting phrase. We'll get into that. Then Jesus said to Judas, what you're about to do, do quickly. And it says... No one at the table knew why Jesus said that to him. Some thought, because Judas had the money bag, Judas was the one that was in charge of all the finances for the disciples. Jesus was telling him, go buy some food we forgot to get for the feast. Or some thought maybe Jesus was telling Judas, go take care, use that money and take care of the poor. So after he received that piece of bread, Judas immediately went out and it was night. Night. Let's pray together, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Judas's betrayal. Uh, Lord, as we talk about this very serious section of your word, um, it's, a very, uh, it's a very heavy section of your word. God, I pray that you will, through your Holy Spirit, you tell us that what you, the, one of the works of your Holy Spirit is that you'll convict the world of sin, and you'll convict the world of their need for a Savior. And God, I pray that tonight you will convict our hearts. And that we'll ask if there's any division in our hearts when it comes to our loyalty to you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the saddest things about this story, if you've read the Bible before, if you haven't, I'll fill you in. The saddest parts about the story is that once Judas left this meal, he went over to the religious leaders who wanted to kill Jesus. And he he, he took them with him. He knew Jesus was going to be in the garden praying. Those religious leaders gave him 30 pieces of silver. They paid him off to identify who Jesus was so they could arrest him and kill him. Shortly after this dinner, Jesus was in a garden. He was praying, praying, praying. We'll read about that prayer in John 15. All the disciples were with him, and they gasped because Judas came with all those religious leaders, and Judas sold Jesus out after Judas did that the next morning Judas started having second thoughts He thought, I should have never done that I'm guilty of selling out Jesus and he tried to give the money back to the religious leaders and they wouldn't take it they said that's blood money we don't want to have anything to do with it so he stood at the door of the temple and he threw the money into the temple and he said he was full of sorrow But instead of turning to Jesus, instead of trusting in Jesus and asking for forgiveness, he did what unfortunately many still do today when they feel hopeless, he took his own life. It's a sad story. The betrayal's sad, Judas's end is sad. But I believe that as we look at this story, there are three things that you can see having to do with betrayal. That can give us some hope for the future. The first thing we see, they're all p, they're all uh, p words, by the way. You know, we have to alliterate. They're all uh, they're all they're all p words. And here's the first one. We see the passion of betrayal. Look back at the first verse there that we read. It says, "After saying these things, Jesus was what troubled in his spirit." Jesus was troubled. You know, it's okay to be troubled. It's okay to have emotions. One of the interesting things that we learn about Jesus' betrayal is, why was Jesus troubled in his spirit? Well, there were other reasons that he was troubled, and we learn about those throughout this section. But this particular reason that he was troubled in his spirit is answered right after here. He says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus was looking around that table. He was looking to his right. The one that he had spent three years with. The one that he had loved on. The one that he had trust, entrusted his ministry to and his money to. He knew that within 24 hours, he would be sold out by one of the people closest to him. And Jesus was emotional. You know, it reminds us that uh, it's okay to be emotional. You see Jesus not only emotional here in in chapter 13, you can go back to chapter 11, you can look at verse number 33, and it says that Jesus was, when he he, he saw the unbelief of of Lazarus' sisters and the community, that he was greatly troubled. You can look at chapter 12, verse 27, and you can see uh, that once again, uh, Jesus said his soul was troubled because he knew he had to die on the cross, and then when he realized, when he was thinking about the fact that John would betray him, he was troubled, Did you feel troubled when somebody betrayed you? You know, when I was asking about, have you ever been betrayed? It's almost like you don't know how to feel when someone turns their back on you. You're kind of angry. You're kind of sad. And you're kind of confused. You're disoriented. You're asking, what did I do wrong? Why would they do that to me? So you have all these jumbled up emotions. And you know, Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% human. And Jesus was experiencing those human emotions. And it's okay to experience emotions. Sometimes as Christians, we get this like, I don't need to be, I don't need to feel sad, I don't need to feel mad. You know, I just need to trust God, praise God. And that's true. You got to trust God, but you're trusting an emotional God. You're trusting a God who walked the earth, you walked and experienced these emotions. You know, part of the passion of betrayal, the emotion of betrayal is sometimes it goes unnoticed by other people. Have you ever been done wrong by someone? And it seems like that person Everybody thinks is the greatest person ever even though they've done something so wrong to you Everybody else is like celebrating him. How do you think Jesus felt when he was deeply troubled in his soul? He said one of you will betray me and everybody's asking who it is But Jesus doesn't reveal that to all the disciples And how do you think he felt when Judas left and all those other disciples thought Judas was going to do a real good thing Maybe he was going to buy food for the Passover. Maybe he was going to help the poor. Have you been hurt by someone and it seems like nobody notices? Jesus gets you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in the book of Hebrews, uh, and it's Hebrews chapter 4. It's actually three verses. It says, talking about Jesus, it says, Since we have such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, let us hold fast to our confession. So we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, that's our Savior. He's not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but he's been in every respect tempted, but without sin. So let's draw near to him. Sometimes we wonder, does God really understand what I'm going through? And when we read the life of Jesus, the answer is yes. Jesus understands what it's like to be betrayed on the deepest level. Jesus gets it. So we see passion in this betrayal. But The next thing we see, we see the possibility of betrayal. This is one of my favorite memes up here, having to do with the Last Supper. He you was know, like, "Jesus, table for twenty-six, please." The waiter, "Well, there's only thirteen of you." He's like, "Yeah, but we're all going to sit on the same side." Yeah, that's that. This is the this is the picture of the Last Supper that the, you know, the famous picture. That's not really an accurate picture because that's not how they would have sat. That's more like the Last Supper at Applebee's versus the Last Supper in Jerusalem. But here's something interesting. Have you ever noticed when Jesus is with his disciples, it's like they always get it wrong. Like they're always thinking the wrong thing and they're always arriving at the wrong conclusion. And this is one of those situations where they're they're arriving at the wrong conclusion. Jesus said he was troubled. You ever notice not one of the disciples asked Jesus, how can we help you because you're troubled? (laughs) Is there something we can do? to help you in this difficult time you're going through. No, all they're doing is fighting about, oh, is, is, is it me, am I the one who's gonna betray you? No, I bet it's Nathaniel, yeah, I bet it's Andrew. It's gotta be Andrew, it's gotta be. No, it's definitely Peter, Peter's the loudmouth. Peter's the idiot, it's gotta be Peter. And the whole discussion they've they have they have they, missed. It's another reminder that only Jesus can do the work of saving. And as the disciples were questioning who's going to betray him, we also read in Matthew and in Mark, not only was Peter like, hey, hey, come to, come to ask him, talk to him, ask him who it is. They were going around the table saying, Lord, is it is it me? Is it I? Is it I? Every single one of them asked, is it me? Is it me? Why would they ask that? Why do you think they would ask that? Think about it. They would only ask that if they knew that somewhere in their heart there was the possibility that they could betray Jesus on their own. They knew that their hearts were divided. Do you like, do you, do you like connect with that? Do you, do you see yourself and you experience like I do sometimes that there's a part of me, like half of my heart, wants to serve God, wants to connect with God, wants to live for God. But there's this other little corner of my heart that always seems to be pulling me in the wrong direction and it reminds me, it reminds me that I'm just as capable of hurting Jesus, of sinning against Jesus as you are. Does that make sense? They asked, is it me, Lord? Because they knew their hearts were divided just like our hearts are divided. Here in, a few minutes, here in a few weeks, we're going to be looking at the fact that one of those people who asked, is it me, would in fact deny Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. It reminds me of a verse that I think we need to remember more often in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, if anyone thinks... For some reason, I've memorized this one in the King James, so just hang on, okay? If any man thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. Does that make sense? It says, if any of y'all think you're above sinning, you better listen up, because you're getting ready to fall. And all these disciples who were so concerned about who was the one that was going to betray Jesus should have been, and I believe they were to a degree, looking in their own heart because their hearts were divided and Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus looked at Peter later and said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. What's interesting about Judas, and we'll talk about him here in a minute before we leave, but It says in the beginning of chapter 13 that Satan had already put the idea of betraying Jesus in his heart. And maybe for some of you, Satan has already put the idea of something that you know is wrong, that you've been entertaining that idea all night tonight or all week this week. You've been invited to do something this weekend that would sell Jesus out. And there's part of you in your heart that says, I'm not gonna do that, I'm gonna do what's right, and I'm gonna follow Jesus. But there's another part of you that says, man, I might wanna just try that just once. Within each of us is a possibility of betrayal. Then the final thing we see, there's the passion, there's the possibility, This is kind of an old person word, but it's a P word and it works, the peril of betrayal. This is a sad story. And I'll kind of give you three reasons why it's a sad story. This isn't a story to laugh while we're talking about it. This is not the story to joke around. It's a sad story for three reasons. The first is because Judas was looked up to by others. We read in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus was included in the group that he sent out to villages to proclaim the gospel and perform miracles. Judas was what we would call a successful hypocrite if there was such a thing. Do you know what I mean by that? He was so successful that he he had everyone fooled, but Jesus, of course, everyone fooled into thinking that he was something that he wasn't. And I can't help but wonder what the reactions were by the other disciples when they were in the garden and they saw Judas come to betray Jesus. I guarantee every one of them was shocked. Judas was the one who took care of the money. Judas was the one that was in this position of honor at, the, uh, at, the, at this Passover dinner. Surely Judas wouldn't sell Jesus out. Yeah, that kind of reminds me, if Judas was looked up to by others, it reminds us of me of two dangers. The first danger is to trust Christian leaders above trusting Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm an old person, I guess I am an old person, but I've lived long enough to have had Christian leaders that I've looked up to fail. And it hurt. And maybe you've been in that situation where there's someone you looked up to as a Christian and then they failed in a very public way and it hurts. It's a reminder to put your trust in Jesus, put your trust in Christ, not Christian leaders. But there's also the reminder for us to not think that just because other people look up to us that we're where we need to be in our relationship with God. It's sad because everybody thought Jesus was up here and he wasn't spiritually. It's also sad because, gee, this is, to me, this, this, well, the last one is definitely the saddest, but this, this breaks my heart. Judas was given every opportunity to trust Jesus, but didn't. Think about all the opportunities Judas had to see who Jesus really was and trust him. Judas had the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus, and he got to hear Jesus teach how the Old Testament pointed to him. Judas spent three years literally living with Jesus and listening to his teachings. Judas saw Jesus do incredible miracles. He saw Jesus feed 3,000 people. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw all the things that could ever convince someone that Jesus was God. But still in his heart, he didn't believe. Judas, like we said, was given the seat of honor at the banquet. And there was even one last opportunity for Judas to do the right thing in verse 27. Jesus looked at Judas and he said, what you are to do... Quickly. That was prophetic by Jesus. It was a last ditch effort. It was a last opportunity for Judas to stay and not do the wrong thing. Why did Judas not believe in Jesus? Well, in chapter 13, verse 2, we see the beginning of the problem. It says that during the supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him. Notice the progression. And then you get to verse 27. First, Jesus put it, or first, First, Satan put it in the heart of Judas to portray Jesus. Then second, Satan entered Judas. What does that mean? Does that mean that, that, that Satan supernaturally, like a demon possession, entered Judas? I don't believe that's what that means. I believe it means something along the lines of what we hear in Ephesians chapter 4 when it says that in our anger we shouldn't sin lest we give Satan a foothold. Lest we give him access into our life. We already know that Judas, we can learn in late, earlier in the Bible, was stealing money from the money bag. He was already giving Satan a foothold in his life. And then he let Satan plan an idea in his head. And then he let Satan convince him to act on the idea that Satan put in his head. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says, the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the mind of people who don't believe in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that our pre-saved condition is that we were under the prince of the power of the air. It wasn't that Judas was under some special trance or some hypnotism that caused him to betray Jesus. It was that Satan was under the same problem that you and I were under, or maybe that you're still under if you haven't been saved, that you and I were under before Jesus saved us. He was given every opportunity to trust in Jesus, and he didn't. I can't help but ask you, Refuel students, you've been around, some of you have been around this for a long time. You've heard a million of these and I've stood here, danced on my head and tried every which way, contorting my body and sacrificing it to try to tell you that only believing in Jesus is the only way to be saved. You've gone on mission trips, you've sung, sung on the praise team, you've served in Backpack VBS, you've come to church every time the doors are open. You're just like Judas if you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't trusted in Jesus. And here's the saddest of the sad. It's a sad story, the peril betrayal. Because Judas went to spend an eternity separated from God. Jesus actually spoke about Judas's fate. He knew what Judas would do. And this is what he said. He said, The Son of Man goes as was written of him. Jesus was destined to die. He was born to die. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born We don't have the time. I I had this beautiful little Greek lesson I was going to give to you. We don't have time for it. It's on the notes on the Refuel app. But what we learn when we read in Matthew 27 about when Judas threw that money in the temple and he wished he wouldn't have betrayed Jesus, what we learn is that Judas did not experience repentance. He experienced sorrow. Judas was sad about his sin. He regretted his sin, but he didn't turn Jesus Jude chapter 4 excuse me Jude verse 14 there's no chapter in Jude there's only one chapter Jude 14 talks about where Judas spent eternity it says it's a place for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever this is the saddest thing Judas was so sad about his sin he felt like there was no hope for him and the only thing he could do was just to end his life and that's a tragedy And an even bigger tragedy is the fact that after he ended his life, he woke up in a place of eternal death, of torment forever. Some people think Judas went to hell because he betrayed Jesus. That's not why he went to hell. Some think Judas went to hell because he killed himself. That's not why he went to hell. There's only one thing that sends you to hell. There's only one sin that is unforgivable and it's the sin of unbelief. Not believing in Jesus. So how about it, Refuel? What response do you need to make in response to what we've seen here from God's word? This is a heavy passage. It's not always like this at Refuel, I promise. But we work through the Bible and when the Bible says something, we believe it. So let's make it stick tonight. I want to give you three options. Which of these options are you going to choose? It's up to you. The first, some of you all need to take comfort. You've been betrayed in a very deep way. You're in good company. Jesus knows how you feel. Run to Jesus. He's the only one. There's only He's the only one who understands you, who cares about you, and who can help you eternally. Run to Jesus, take comfort in the fact that he knows what you're experiencing. Some need to take caution. You're like those disciples and your heart is divided. And Satan has put an idea in your head as to what you could do. It doesn't honor God and you're torn. Is your heart divided? Tonight what I want to ask you to do is I want you to turn that besetting sin over to Jesus tonight. Whether it's an addiction, a digital addiction, Um, whether it's something you're doing academically that's dishonest, whether it's an attitude that you have towards your parent, whatever it is, make things right with God tonight. Then the final one is take care. Take care of your eternal destiny. No one has to end up where Judas ended up. After he was betrayed by Judas, Jesus died on a cross as a payment, as a sacrifice, as a penalty for our sins. We don't have to pay for our own sins. Jesus paid for them and when we trust in him, when we believe in him, we become saved and we have life with Jesus that starts now and lasts forever into heaven. Does that make sense? Is that clear enough? Because I would hate for you to come and have a religious experience like Judas did and leave just as lost as you were when you came in. So, bow your heads and close your eyes. And I wanna ask you, which of these C words are you gonna do tonight? Do you need to take comfort? You've been betrayed, ask Jesus to give you comfort tonight. As I pray, I want you to pray for comfort tonight. Second, take caution. Some of you, you're torn between Jesus and the world. Tonight, give that temptation to God and ask for his help not to give in. And then finally, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your savior, you don't know if you have a home in heaven waiting for you. Tonight, believe in Jesus. We encourage people at Refuel to turn that belief into a prayer so that you can have a time and you can have a place where you can go back to and you can remember that that's when I believed in Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you to do that tonight. And, and, and I, I'm going to give you a prayer that you can quietly in your heart repeat after me, but only repeat it if you mean it and only repeat it if it's a reflection of what you just decided to do, decided to trust and believe in Jesus. And if you did that, I'd encourage you to pray a prayer in your heart like this. Oh, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. And I realize there's nothing I could do that could ever, that could ever pay for my own sins. But God, I trust that your son Jesus died in my place for my sins. And I'm depending on him for new life. And I'm trusting that he can save me now. And he can save me forever and give me a home in heaven. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, Be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.